I have a, a friend who I'm going to call Rick. It's not his real name. But Rick grew up in the church, much like these children up here this morning. Grew up in a Christian family and, and went to a Christian elementary school and high school in Southern California. He ended up meeting a young woman who also grew up in a Christian family. In fact, his future wife uh, was actually the child of missionaries and grew up on the mission field for much of her life. They grew up, went to a Christian college. After Christian college, the two of them got married and began having a family. They ended up having four beautiful kids. And while their kids were young, they decided to get involved in the church where I was uh, in Southern California. Just an incredible young family, so much potential, so much uh, just vibrancy in their family, a commitment to Christ and to see their kids raised in the church so that they would make a difference in the world for Christ as well. Rick began to become involved in, in small groups and just participating with he and his wife in small groups. And after a matter of years, it was clear that Rick had leadership ability and loved the Lord. And so he ended up on the elder board. And after a couple of years on the elder board, he was actually elected as chairman of the elder board of our church, an evangelical free church. And then Rick was, as elder board chairman, he was in charge of all of the church business meetings, spoke on behalf of the congregation, was involved in intervening in, in couples' lives who were having uh, struggles maritally, and, and uh, just an incredible, incredible guy, he and his wife both. Several years after I left that church, I got a call from a friend of mine who was a mutual friend of Rick's as well. And he asked me if I'd heard from Rick lately. And I said, no, I haven't heard from Rick for a long time. And we had kept in contact uh, pretty frequently. And he said, well, I, I hear that Rick and his wife are really having some significant struggles. In fact, he left her and is living separate from her. Well, come to find out, Rick, at some point in his life, had taken a few steps in the wrong direction. I don't know exactly what it was that spawned some of his thinking or his choices, but at some point he began walking in the wrong direction, kind of away from the Lord instead of toward the Lord. He had gone on to graduate school and got an MBA, and then at his work at a, a large national bank, he was promoted and promoted again until he was an executive vice president, was doing an awful lot of traveling uh, without his wife. And at the point that my friend called me with concern, he had talked to Rick and Rick had fallen into taking drugs, heavy drinking, and was frequently going to Las Vegas to gamble away his paychecks and leave the family essentially destitute. Ultimately, Rick left his wife, deserted his four children for a life of drugs, alcohol and gambling in Las Vegas. And to this day, Rick has not returned uh, to Christ. He is still walking away from God. Someone who'd been brought up in the church, who'd been an elder in the church, who'd been the chairman of an elder board, of an evangelical free church. And yet today he has chosen to walk away from God. Have you ever wondered how that kind of thing happens? How is it that someone who grows up knowing about God has a personal relationship with Christ and yet at some point in their life they begin to take some steps in a wrong direction and end up living completely apart from Christ and the church? No, I'm not going to suggest that he's lost his salvation or anything like that. 
but he is certainly living out of fellowship with God and living an incredibly miserable life. He's literally destroyed the life of his wife and his children who've grown up with all kinds of struggles now. And we've got to ask ourselves, how does that kind of thing happen? It happens to people like Rick. It happens to pastors like Ted Haggard. President of the National Association of Evangelicals, pastor of a church of 14,000 people. It happens to people who've been in faith for a long time. And I think we need to ask ourselves from time to time, what about us? Could that kind of thing ever happen to us? No, man, I'm just so committed to Christ and I'm so committed to my spouse. But I'm here to tell you, it can happen to any of us. And it begins not with big decisions. It begins not with big radical departures from our faith or radical departures from Christ. It begins with baby steps. Little tiny steps. It begins with what I call sloppy Christian living. Where we begin just not caring about certain things anymore, where we kind of put our moral compass in neutral and allow ourselves to be completely infiltrated by the culture in which we live. We begin adjusting our morals and our values ever so slightly until decisions that we make today we never would have considered making five years ago. And the slide can be so subtle that sometimes We don't even recognize it. When Rick was confronted by a friend of mine who is now pastoring that church, he said he didn't think he was doing anything wrong with his life. He was just exercising his freedom in Christ. That's how deceived he had become. You see, the Bible says that the human heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? We have an incredible ability to deceive ourselves when we want to. You see, it's possible that maybe our lives are kind of being blown off course right now. Maybe we're here and we know we've been taking a few little steps in the wrong direction. You see, the challenge for us is God has a life for us of abundance. God wants us to enjoy a freedom in Christ. He wants us to enjoy a sense of liberation and freedom from sin and guilt and shame and all of those things. That's what God has for us. But in order to enjoy those things, we've got to make sure that we're hearing his voice, that we're receiving his voice, and that we're responding in ways that are appropriate that keep us on course spiritually so we don't end up drifting off course like others before us. And it can happen to any of us. And when we allow our lives to drift off course, we begin to forfeit our freedom and our effectiveness and the potential that God has for us with all the gifts and opportunities given to us. We begin to neutralize ourselves. And that's a very sad thing when that begins to happen in a believer's life. And so this morning, I want us to find a spiritual compass to help us keep our life in course on course in the minor prophet of Jonah. Now, probably haven't heard a ton of series from the minor prophet of Jonah, but I want us to take our time over the next couple of months and look at this little two page. It's really only two pages in my Bible, a minor prophet of Jonah. And if you want to find it, uh, you need to go past the major prophets. And then you need to turn past Hosea, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, 
and it's right before Micah. But Jonah, a little tiny book that's easy to just skip right over. You see, Jonah was a man that God wanted to use to accomplish some amazing things, some significant things. But Jonah also was a man who allowed his life to be briefly blown off course by taking a few steps in the wrong direction. And at first, maybe they seemed like pretty harmless steps, not a really big deal. At least it made all kinds of sense to Jonah why he wasn't doing what God wanted him to do. But it ended up leading Jonah to a very, very dangerous, precarious place and allowed his life To be blown off course. And I want us to take a look at not only how he allowed his life to get blown off course, but then how did Jonah get his life back on spiritual course? Because I believe the steps that he took are steps that we can take as well if we want to get back on course, if we find our lives kind of running in a wrong direction. And so I want you to follow with me as I look at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We're just going to look at the first three verses of chapter 1 this morning. It says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked the people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, in this little passage, these three verses, we can see two steps that Jonah took that led him off course uh, spiritually. Two steps that took him in the wrong spiritual direction and ultimately caused him to become in a very miserable place. And these are two steps that we don't want to take in our lives. There are two steps that every day we want to guard against and be vigilant so that we don't find ourselves doing the same little things that Jonah did. And the first step in the wrong direction is to resist the commands of God, to resist the commands or the word or the influence or the instruction of God in our lives. Take a look at those first two verses again. Just um, it says here, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now, the first thing you need to understand about Jonah is he is a prophet of God. That's his calling. That's his job. He is to go and prophesy in God's name to people. That's that's his whole job. And so God here is called Jonah, one of his prophets, and says, Jonah, I have a message for you. I have a job for you to do. I want you to go to the Assyrian city of Nineveh and I want you to announce my impending judgment on them so that they might have an opportunity to repent and experience my grace before I bring my judgment and destruction on this Assyrian city. And it was a important job. It was an incredible job that God was giving Jonah. And as a prophet, you would think, yes, I finally get a big one. I get a big assignment. I get to go and prophesy God's destruction on a city. But Jonah didn't really get all that excited about this particular assignment. There's only one small problem with Jonah, and that is found in the first 
couple words of verse three. It says, but Jonah. Verse two, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah didn't want to go. Jonah didn't want to be God's messenger to the Assyrians. You see, the Assyrians were the arch enemies of Israel. The Assyrians were bitter enemies of God's people. They were the most reviled, hated people of that time. They were incredible warrior people. In fact, the Assyrians, when they would come and invade a land, their warriors would dress in like total white gowns. And when they would kill people, they would kill them and just do murderous kinds of things. And then they would reach their hands into the corpses and spread the entrails and the, bre- the blood all over their white garments so that they would look just vicious and gruesome. So that when they came to a new group of people, they, they would be so frightened because these people looked so heinous. They were heartless, thoughtless, evil enemies of Jonah and his people. And when Jonah gets this word from God, I want you to go and proclaim to these arch enemies of Israel my impending judgment because of their weakness so that they have an opportunity to repent and experience my grace. Jonah says, what are you thinking, God? What a mistake that is. You know what these people have done. These are our arch enemies. I'm not going to go and give the Assyrians an opportunity to repent and experience your grace. You're crazy. There's something wrong with this. You see, Jonah was resisting what God was asking him to do. It didn't make sense to Jonah. It didn't add up. Why in the world would I want to go and give them an opportunity to repent and and escape your judgment? That's exactly what they deserve, God. They deserve your judgment. They deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth. And so even though Jonah knew clearly what God wanted him to do, Jonah was resisting. Jonah was dragging his feet. It didn't make sense to him. He couldn't understand why God would want to do this. And so that was his first little step in the wrong direction, was just resisting what God was asking him to do. Because it didn't make sense to him, and he didn't want to do it. He really wanted God to wipe him out. Hey, why don't we just skip step one here of me going, and you know they're wicked. Why don't you just wipe them out, and I'll go clean up the mess. But God said, no, I want you to go and give them an opportunity to repent. You know, have you ever had a similar experience in your life as a Christian? Where maybe you sensed after reading God's word or maybe hearing a sermon or hearing a tape or being in a Bible study or or maybe reading some spiritual book or something. You sense God begin to prod you to do something that you really didn't want to do. You heard God fairly clearly, whether it was through his word or whether it was through prayer. Maybe you were journaling and God spoke to you. I don't know what the context might be for you. But whatever the context was, you clearly understood what God was expecting and asking you to do. Maybe it was to forgive someone that had seriously offended you and hurt you and showed no remorse, no repentance. 
And yet you sensed as a result of being exposed to God's word or being in the presence of other believers or whatever it was, however God spoke to you, you heard him saying to you and nudging you and instructing you, forgive him. Let it go. Just let it go and I will deal with them and you'll find freedom from that bitterness and and from being tied to that that anger. And you said, God, they deserve to be punished. They don't deserve my friendship. They don't deserve my forgiveness. They deserve to suffer knowing that our relationship is broken. And the last thing I want to do is go and offer complete forgiveness for what they did to me or someone that I love. And yet God persists in saying, go. I'm just asking you to forgive. You leave the results up to me. Maybe for someone here, it was a habit that you're struggling with. And God has clearly communicated to you over and over, not just with the guilt you personally feel, but with the gentle nudging of his spirit. This is moving you off course. This is taking you further from me. You need to give this to me. Get help. Talk to someone about this. And though you clearly understand what God is asking you to do, you know what his word says about a particular issue you're resisting. You're just kind of pushing back. God, I'm not ready yet. I I still enjoy this, if the truth be told. And so like Jonah, we just take that little step. It's like, but Jonah. I got to tell you, in my life, I've experienced that. Times where I've clearly heard God asking me to do a certain thing. And I simply did not want to do it out of a rebellious heart, out of hardness of heart. And just saying, no, I I, I just really don't want to do it. Just resisting it, trying to rationalize, trying to explain to God why it didn't make sense at this particular time. And I've got to tell you, when we take that first little step away from God, it is a very, very dangerous and miserable place to be. Because God loves us too much to just let us go and say, "Okay, you know. I'm not going to bother you anymore with this. Now, the sad thing is if we persist in that kind of thing long enough and long enough and long enough and make it a habitual part of our life, there may come a point where God says, "Okay, this is pointless. I'm not going to bug you anymore. But I think that takes a long time of resisting God and pushing against what we know he wants us to do. You see, one of the first steps of keeping our lives on course is hearing what God is saying to us. And then obeying and doing what he's asking us to do instead of resisting the commands of God and and kind of beginning that process of disobedience. But there's a second step that we can take. The second step that we can take that will get us off course is not just resisting and kind of pushing against what God is asking us to do. But the second step is then deliberately disobeying what we know God wants us to do. That's the second step. I mean, it's one thing to just resist and chafe against what we think God wants us to do. But it's a completely different matter to deliberately disobey. And that's exactly what Jonah did. Look at verse three. It says, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, Jonah is just so much like us, isn't he? I mean, it's just amazing to me. Jonah didn't say, I won't go to 
you know, Nineveh, but I will go to another Assyrian city or I'll get close. I'll go to the border of Assyria and maybe shout from the border or something. God, no, Jonah doesn't want to go that way. So he goes the exact opposite direction. In fact, geographically, Tarshish was as far up as a person could get in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. And it wasn't like Tarshish was a tourist destination or like there was a a regular charter ship going to Tarshish. He had to go down to Joppa and it probably took him a couple of days of hunting and finding a ship that was actually going to Tarshish where he could buy a ticket and go as far as he could in the opposite direction. So it was no easy matter to get there. But he chose to deliberately disobey God by getting as far away from God, uh, his uh, request of Jonah, as he possibly could. And listen, part of what Jonah was doing, look at the second half of verse three. Part of this effort of going in the opposite direction, you know, kind of out into no man's land. It says he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Isn't that funny? When we decide ultimately to disobey God deliberately, one of the first things we find ourselves doing is what? Trying to avoid the presence of God. Trying to run away from God so we don't have to experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit and be reminded of what we've done. And so oftentimes when we deliberately disobey God and just choose God, I'm not going to do it. I know what you've said. I'm going to keep doing this habit. I'm not going to forgive this person. I'm going to continue enjoying this or this or whatever it is. I'm not going to start doing what you've asked me to do or stop doing what you've asked me to stop doing. I'm going to do it. One of the first things that we begin to do is we try to hide from God, just like Jonah. Isn't that true? We try to avoid his presence. One of the first things that often goes is church attendance. I mean, the last place we want to be is here on Sunday morning, hearing from God's word, hearing worship songs, knowing that we really can't freely and completely enter in because we're living in disobedience to God. And so we just gradually stop coming to church. One of the next things that goes is we don't want to read the Bible or spend time in prayer because we know as soon as we open the Bible, guess what? God's going to slap us between the eyes and say, see, or as soon as we close our eyes in prayer, the first thing that we're going to, is going to come to our mind is disobedience, disobedience, disobedience. And so we stop praying. And then before long, we start going to any small group that we might be a part of, any fellowship group, because we know that's just going to remind us. And again, if we persist, we begin to just shut ourselves off completely from any avenues that God might speak to us or remind us or cajole us. But, of course, it's completely ridiculous, isn't it? Because God's right there with us. You can't run away from God no matter where you go. Unfortunately, we'll see Jonah discover that just a little too late. But you can't run away and hide from God. And because the strain and the guilt and the conviction can become so powerful, there are many believers who actually then begin engaging in self-anesthetizing behaviors like drugs and alcohol And pornography, again, trying to escape the conviction, the guilt that they've been running away from God. Even Ted Haggard said that in a letter he wrote to his congregation, that some of his behaviors were a form of dealing with some of the things he'd been doing and trying to run away 
from God. Instead of getting help and running to God and running to believers and confessing, as James uh, chapter 5 says, that if we confess to one another, God forgives us and brings healing to our souls, we run and we hide. And it festers and it gets worse and worse. Think about King David after his sin with Bathsheba. He spent a whole year running and hiding from God. And then he writes in Psalm 32 that his entire body was like wasting away. His life was drying up. He was miserable as he was trying to push away the influence and the instruction of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit to confess and get back on course. And then we read when he finally confessed that he found that freedom and that joy of God's salvation again. You see, two steps that will always take us in the wrong direction is resisting God first. And if we make a habit of that, then there comes a point where it's much easier to just deliberately disobey God. And then we try to avoid his presence. And that's a very, very bad course to set out on as a believer. You know, as the kids were doing their skit up here, I I couldn't help but remember when our kids were were much younger on a Saturday, I ended up staying home with all four of our angelic children so, you know, Sue could go out and spend the Saturday golfing or, you know, watching football. I don't know what it was she was doing, but, you know, I ended up staying home with the kids all day doing dishes and, you know, changing diapers and all that kind of stuff. And our daughter, Hillary, who's our youngest daughter, oh, she was probably about four or five, like these fours and fives up here. And she was just this little cherub kind of, you know, just very, well, she was very cute and very stubborn, you know. And uh, I remember it was just before lunch. I was trying to get everything arranged. And Hillary wanted a cookie that Sue had just made, these cookies. And they were still actually on the wax paper on the counter. And, and Hillary wanted a cookie. I said, no, Hillary, you can't have a cookie. We're going to have lunch. And after lunch, you can have a cookie. Well, she did not like that, and she stomped her, like, I'm going to and she would have this little scream, you know, and oh boy, that just set me off. And so finally, after some devoted time, I won that battle, I thought, and then went off to handle another crisis before I came back to make sandwiches for lunch. Well, after I got done with that crisis upstairs with the boys, I came back downstairs, and where's Hillary? Couldn't find Hillary. Went into the kitchen to start making lunch, and didn't know where Hillary was, until I heard from underneath the kitchen table that had a tablecloth on it, I heard one of the chairs kind of scrape against the kitchen linoleum and realized that Hillary was under the kitchen table. And so I went down and I crawled down on my hands and knees and I lifted up the tablecloth and there was Hillary sitting cross-legged with crumbs all over her face, all over her front. And I said, Hillary, did you eat a cookie? And she said, no. And it just caked all over her teeth and just just lying right to my face. No, I didn't have a cookie. Well, why are you sitting under the table, Hillary? Why didn't you sit at the table to eat the cookie? (laughs) Then she just started bawling. But see, Hillary was just like me, just like you. When we disobey our Heavenly Father, there's a part of us that knows we've done something wrong. And the first thing we do when we disobey is we want to avoid God's presence. We want to avoid avoid our parents' presence. And so Hillary was hiding underneath the table. Jonah takes a trip to Tarshish. What do you do? How do you get away from God's presence when you're deliberately Choosing to disobey God and to resist the gentle 
nudgings and proddings and instruction of his Holy Spirit to go do this. Offer forgiveness to this person. Start doing this. Stop doing that. See, not much changes as we get older. We just become more sophisticated in how we deal with our disobedience. But if we want to keep our spiritual life on course for the long haul, we need to recognize the first two little steps that we can take that will get us off course. And that is by resisting God's influence and God's instruction and his nudgings in our life and then ultimately deliberately disobeying God. Let me just share a couple of action steps with you before we close this morning. That is maybe take some time to just ask yourself if there's some area of your life where you're kind of resisting God right now. Where you know what God is saying, you know what God is asking you to do or stop doing. It's just that you're not totally sold on it yet. And you're trying to resist God, maybe find some other alternative that's more acceptable to you. Maybe it's a habit you need to stop or a new direction you need to move in. Maybe it's the decision that you need to make that's going to bring a lot of change to your life or your family or whatever it is. But you know God is directing you and convicting you. But you're just having difficulty receiving it and doing it. Let me just encourage you to take some time to to really pray to God. Stop resisting. You know, God has our best in mind. God is a loving Heavenly Father who knows what's best for us. He sees the end of our life from the beginning of our life, and He knows the steps we should take and the directions that we should go, no matter how irrational it might seem to us at the time. Really just decide, God, I'm going to stop resisting you. I'm going to take this just baby step of faith and do what you're asking me to do. And find the joy and the freedom that comes from obeying God. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that you've really begun to drift off course. It's more than just a couple baby steps. and You found yourself in some rut or some particular habits or lifestyle that, that you know is just really taking you off course. And maybe God is speaking to you this morning about that. I would just encourage you to make a point with the, the counseling department here or a counselor somewhere and just share with another person where you're at. Just the very act of sharing that you're on the wrong course and that you want back on the right course has an incredibly reparative and healing effect in our lives. And it's an incredible indication of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives when we're willing to take that step because we want to be in fellowship with God. So my prayer this morning is is that we would be people who are serious about keeping our lives on course with God by not resisting him, not disobeying him, but learning to follow him at the, the earliest possible opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you that. You don't sugarcoat the personalities in the Bible. You don't sugarcoat the lives of your servants, whether it's Abraham, whether it's King David, whether it's Noah, or whether it's Jonah. Father, they were human just like us, and they had problems just like us. And yet, Father, we can definitely learn lessons from the examples of their lives. And I pray that this morning, as believers who love you, And who want to keep our lives on course, a life of abundance and a life of enjoying fellowship with you. That you would help us to submit ourselves to you and to follow the leading and the guiding of your Holy Spirit, no matter where it might lead us. 
so that we might keep our lives on course. And we'll thank you for what you're doing in Christ's name. Amen.